Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home after I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Well, that's Luke chapter 16, the first nine verses, and that's where we're going to spend our time today. We're in a series called Success Reconsidered, and this is a really important series because success is actually a confusing goal in life. I want to ask you at the beginning of the message, and after we kind of wade through the words of Jesus, I'm going to ask you at the end of the message the exact same question. The question I'm going to ask you to think of right now, wherever you are, physically in this room, wherever you are watching online, are you successful? Are you successful? A lot of how you answer that question is probably determined by how you feel in life. Often, what we feel we're successful when we know we're winning at life. When you're winning at work, you feel successful. When you're winning in a relationship, when you're winning at making money, when you're winning at getting noticed, when you're winning at getting applauded or popularity, 
Those things make us feel successful. See, what happens every time you win in life, you succeed at something, you succeed educationally, you get noticed in your career path, you get whatever that might be, you receive what is a little dopamine hit, little hormonal release that makes you feel good. And that's why success is such an elusive and interesting and even addictive pursuit in this life. Because we love that feeling when we're winning. And nothing says you're winning more than feeling successful when those dopamine hits get, come, get, start coming in our lives. And so we get afraid of losing them. So what inevitably happens, all of us jump onto a treadmill early and often in life in the pursuit of those applause, in the pursuit of those moments that we feel good. And over time, we learn that we have to work longer and harder to receive those same moments of dopamine. You know what it's like when you first start in the workforce and you see some success at it and you feel really good about it and cause you to work harder, but the same wins don't give the same results. You need greater wins and greater wins. And then at some point in time, you, you're my age. <laughs> and you're looking back over your life and you're going, man, man, there's a lot of good years of my life. I churned up pursuing things that were not bad, but they're actually kind of hollow. See, what does it look like to be successful? Sometimes you've got to press the pause button, step back, and look at it from a different vantage point. Jesus is going to help us with that today. Earlier this week, um, Shelly and I, my wife, uh, we went to a funeral uh, of a, a woman who was 48 years old. Her name is Janet Manifo. And Janet uh, was Shelly's college roommate for a year in college. And she's married to a, a pastor in the GTA, Jonathan Manifo, great guy. And we were at his funeral, 48 years old, cancer. And at the funeral, a friend of ours, a dear friend we've had for over 20 years, he spoke. He was the pastor speaking that day. His name's Aaron Holbrow. And Aaron started reflecting about Janet's life and that funeral and what brought us all to this place at that time with his own story a little bit. His wife Amy has been diagnosed with MS for years, and for the last six years, she's been a paraplegic. And Aaron said this. He said, that we had to find a new kind of faith a deeper kind of faith. We had to reconsider what success actually looked like. In fact, these were the words he said, we stopped praying for healing and started praying for wholeness. I love these words. He said this, there's a difference between healing and wholeness. If you're, wherever you may be, say this next sentence with me. Wholeness doesn't need healing to exist. Wholeness doesn't need healing to exist. I, I, there's something so painful as a pastor when you see a follower of Jesus so singularly over-invested in one outcome that determines whether they're living a whole or successful life. Some people invest. I've watched it. I've watched believers who encounter setbacks physically, and we should pray for healing. Nothing wrong with that. But I've watched them do it, and they over-invest in everything looks like if I'm not healed, I'm not whole. And, and they overinvest to the degree that they were never that deeply invested in the relationship with Jesus. They were overly invested in the outcome that they needed or wanted. It's not just healing. Some people become overinvested in needing a husband. And they feel like, if I don't have a husband, I can't be whole. He will complete me, kind of thing. 
Or, or some people, they get fixated on having a baby and, or, or uh, uh, having a breakthrough or experiencing some sort of riches or, or resources. And friends, none of those things are bad things. They're not even things that you can't pray about. But they're deeply invested in that more than they are committed to wholeness. You see, friends, we all know healthy people walking around who aren't whole people. We all know wealthy people walking around that are not whole people. We know important and powerful people that are walking around, but they're not whole. What is it you'd put in there? What is it that has an overinvestment of singular focus that supersedes your singular focus of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and being with Jesus? See, we have a tendency to invest in temporary things. I know this, and I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of having people in your life. I have. People who have disabilities, people who have suffered greatly, and I've met many of them that are more alive in their suffering than other people are in their success. Now, Aaron rightfully reminded us that day, he said this words, he said, Janet is more alive today than what she was when she walked among us. And in reflecting on his wife, Amy, he said, Amy is more whole today than when she had the use of both of her legs. Friends, sometimes you get to a point in life where you really need to reconsider what success looks like. Because someday, we'll all run out of days. And if we're so deeply invested in temporary things here, we're not going to be ready or wanting to reach for Jesus' hand for what lays ahead of us, the great reward that is still in front of us. So I want to help us reconsider success, to understand the rewards that God has for us as we live the type of successful life he has for us here on earth so we can live with less regrets. So we put the questions to some of the seniors in our church at One Church TO this week. We said, what were some of the decisions you made earlier in life that you're so glad you did now and you have no regret that you did? In fact, that has made life more successful because you made those decisions before. Here's what they had to say. Well, I'm glad I raised my children in the church. They joined groups that were beneficial to them, and they would sing and praise the Lord. They were inviting different friends to come in, and I'm so thankful and blessed that the way we brought up our kids. And I'm thankful to see them and our as parents bringing their children into the house of the Lord. Uh, I'm grateful that as a young man, I, I listened to my dad's good advice because it set the foundation for the rest of my life. The advice that my dad gave me is about love for family. See, I lost my mom when I was 11, and so my dad and I became re really close. And the, the love that my dad showed me it's um, enabled me to love my family the same way. I thought about it and I'm glad that I volunteer. And because of that, I was able to like help others and form lasting friendships. My Lord says, you know, how can you love me and you haven't seen me? And, and 
Well, you have, you have to love others, you know, really. He loves people and he expects you to do the same. When I was younger, I decided after working full-time in a full-time position, my kids were growing up and I decided to have myself transferred into a part-time position. I was able to be there, be present, to listen. Even now, my daughter, especially her, she's so open with me. I was a, a pretty shy person, but the Lord has given me that boldness to minister to others. Even at my, at my job, the Lord uh, used me to minister to others, to even fellow um, co-workers. And it's a joy to do that because um, I really love the Lord and I care for people. Uh, one of the things that I was very, um, I'm very glad that I did was to remember to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. By keeping my eyes on Him, I'm able to um, make the right choices. What would Jesus Christ have had done if he was in this situation? In spite of what might be happening, in spite of what people might be predicting, the Word of God stands true. And I'm so glad that I made that decision very early in my life. Well, I love our seniors. I've said this in weeks gone by. If you don't have a friend who's older than you, you need to go out and make one very soon. There's What a rich uh, moment for us to lean in as a community. And listen, if you're 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, someday you'll sit in that seat, Lord willing. What are you going to wish you had decided earlier? That you could live in such a way that when our days come to an end... We have a sense of contentment, satisfaction, and even excitement for the reward set before us that we're not holding on to everything in this life because we've already sent things ahead of us in life. We're ready to embrace what Jesus has next for us. So friends, Luke chapter 16 is our text here. It's a fascinating little story, a parable, and it's a perspective building one that's gonna help us understand what a successful life actually looks like. It's actually fairly simple. But in, verse six, in chapter 16, you see we're introduced to two characters. One's a manager, and we're supposed to see ourselves as a manager in the story. And one's the owner, and that's God in the story. A manager in that ancient culture that Jesus is telling the story, he was like the CEO or the CFO of this man's estate. He not only would have run it, he would have invested his funds in, as you'll see in a moment, he would have invested in things that he would be able to get a return on investment. But it's not, it's very early in the story, verse 3, where the owner comes to this manager and says, listen, uh, here's your termination notice, you're fired. And this is a wake-up call, a wake-up call to this manager. All of a sudden, he comes to his senses and he realizes, whoa, I don't have any friends. In fact, I don't have any good relationships with people. He's not been a great manager. He hasn't maintained good relationships. In verse 4, you see even the townspeople keep him at arm's length. So he, he has an idea because he figures, I can't dig ditches. I'm not good at manual labor, and it's, but he doesn't want to beg. So he's coming up with another strategy, and his strategy is to bring all of the debtors into, into his company and then to say, how much do you owe, and cut it, take enormous reductions off their debt owed. Well, the net return on that is 
he, he gets some friends. You know, if someone, if you owed a great debt and someone came in and said, listen, let's cut it in half, all of a sudden, you're very predisposed to like this person. This guy begins to build friendships that will be there for him when his job is no longer there for him. He does that in advance. See, he decides to do something that, that will change the future. He decides to invest in a different strategy. Now, the perplexing part of the story is verse 8, when the owner comes and sees what the manager has done, and he commends him. He commends him. He says this, although you are dishonest, you're really smart. Now, why would he commend him? Well, in, in this ancient culture, this manager would not only have received a return on investment in terms of interest for the owner, he would have put in extra fees, management fees. Just like the tax collectors in Jesus' day didn't just collect taxes for Rome, they also had additional fees they would put up. And that's why many Jews hated the, the tax collectors, because they were a bit of extortionists, really. So this man's doing the same thing. So likely what he's done is bring in the debtors, and he's likely cut off the management fees, of which it was up to sometimes 50% of what was owed. And in doing so, he developed a better reputation, and so did the owner with the townspeople. So he's commending him. And Jesus is driving this point home for all of us who are followers of Jesus. You're a manager. You're a manager. And we are asked to be wise with what God has given us. And that truth is predicated on a foundational truth. And that foundational truth is simply this. We are stewards or managers of the resources, of resources that are not ours. They're not ours. Jesus is teaching something very elemental, very foundational at the beginning of the story. He's trying to help us know, and if you know God and you follow Jesus, you should already know that not, none of your stuff uh, the, the time you have, the power you have, the abilities you have, the money you have, it's really not yours. Uh, this rubs against Canadians wrong, right? Because we are often people who work very hard for what we have and what we've accumulated. And that does, that's not just finances and resources. That's a success that we enjoy in life. We did this. We did this. And Jesus would say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. He would say this, listen, maybe you've worked very hard in life, and obviously the Bible affirms a good work ethic, actually. But with what did you work hard to get what you had? God has given you gifts that you're able to leverage, to accumulate, to grow, to succeed in this life. You know, like, how about this? Every one of you, you're alive. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to make money in this life when you're living? Life is a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. For some of us, you, you are healthy. Health is a gift. Now, I know some of you aren't healthy right now. And sometimes when we're not healthy and we experience a health setback, often we wonder out loud even, why would God allow this to happen? You know, I wonder if there's a better way of looking at that. You and I are in a world that is constantly in a state of unraveling. I don't think I need to tell you that. Look at your newsfeed. Because of sin and brokenness in this world, everything's unraveling. Maybe the better question is, God, why have you held me together for so long in this world that is in a state of decay? 
Every moment, every day that we are healthy, that we can go to work, is a gift. Every second is a gift. And, and then you have talents. Who gave you those? You have circumstances you were born into. Listen, I, every once in a while, because I'm a little bit of that bootstrapper, like a lot of you are, that, that I've just kind of wanted to forge my own way in life. But I have to remind myself every once in a while, listen, Smith, if you were born in the 12th century in some remote region, you could have worked as hard as you wanted and you wouldn't have gotten ahead. I was born into circumstances that allowed me to have opportunities. And I was born into family moments or whatever it might be. We have had advantages. So the idea is simply this. You do, and a good work ethic is wonderful to have, but you've worked hard with the circumstances that were given to you, the abilities that were given to you. You worked hard with the health that was given to you and the life that was given to you by God. It's not yours. It's his. He's the owner. He's the owner. Now, if you're managing assets that don't belong to you, your time, your health, your strength, your abilities, your money, your resources, if it doesn't belong to you and you're managing them, you can't manage them just any way you want you, because they're not yours. You've got to manage them the way God would want them. And the Bible spends a lot of time talking about how we manage these resources. And, for, and I'm talking to people who follow Jesus right now. But if you are a follower of Jesus, there's two words, and I've shared this with, for, with you in the past, two words that describe the way God asks us, the owner, to use those resources. And it's to be people that are radically generous. Radically generous. Radically generous with what we have. So if we're not radically generous as followers of Jesus, friends, it's, it's not stinginess. It's robbery. It's not because we lack compassion for people. It's because we lack integrity. Because it's not ours. It belongs to God. And Jesus talks about how we should use those assets. And he even tells us where we should use them. I'll get to that in a minute. You know, when you go back to the older parts of the Bible, it gets very descriptive uh, and prescriptive in the way we manage assets and things in life. And so some of you have been around church world for a long time, you would already know this. But in the older parts of the Bible, it would talk about 10% being that 10% of all that you earn, you need to give away to help other people. 10% of your talents, your abilities, your time, your money, 10%. If you go to the New Testament, it, it, that's just the basement floor, actually, in the New Testament. But, but here's the idea. is because some of you are looking at this, and you're going like, 10%, are you crazy? <laughs> are you crazy? Well, this all depends on how you view the things that you have and the things that you've been given. If I came to you, if you worked on Bay Street, I know we got a lot of bankers in this church, investors, all that kind of stuff. If you worked on Bay Street, and I came to you, and I was a very rich person, and I said, listen, I'm going to give you my wealth, and I want you to invest it for me, but here's the terms. I'm going to give you 90% of the commissions. You, you, you're going to get 90% of the profits. I'll just take 10%. What investor wouldn't sign up for that? Everyone would sign up for that. 90, you're going to give me 90%? And that's how God outlined it with the children of God in the Old Testament. Listen, you get 90% of everything I'll give you and I'm asking you to use 10% of the 100 to take care of others. 
And this is the plan. This is the way God kind of outlined it to go. And now, some of you are thinking, Jonathan, this is a money message. It, it, it actually isn't. This is a success message. This is about stewardship. This is about perspective. Because if you look at this, the key to this whole passage is verse 9. In verse 9, he says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources. That's your time. That's your energies. That's your abilities, your talents, your money, your resources. Use your worldly resources to, can you say it with me? Benefit others. And make friends. You know, sometimes we think friendship is just a passing thing. Man, it is such, so central to the gospel. You know, because Jesus then ties it to eternity. He goes on to say, then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. So use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Now, Jesus is telling this parable to his followers because he's saying we should be like this manager. We should be just like him. What did the manager actually do? The manager took and he delayed his short-term rewards for a better future reward. He delayed a short-term re- He could have demanded of all the debtors in that time, hey, give me what is due me. Remember, he's put fees on top of the interest and the, of the loan from the owner. He could have demanded all of those so he had something to live off of, but he didn't. He let go of that short-term reward for a better future reward, friends. Friends, a better investment. You see, often what we do is we invest in things that are temporary. You know this, I know this, the manager knows this, that if you're going to invest in something, you want to invest in something that appreciates in value. But many of us spend all of our times investing in things that depreciate in value. We're deeply invested in our health, aren't we? Deeply invested in our health. Deeply invested in wealth accumulation. You know that health is a billion-dollar industry. Vitamins, all kinds of stuff. And we're deeply invested in it, and there's nothing wrong with being healthier and pursuing health. There's nothing wrong with money. Money's not evil in itself. But we're deeply invested in that. We're invested in importance and feeling significance, even sometimes power. And all of these things are not wrong in themselves, but all of them are depreciating qualities. As we age, every one of those depreciates. As we age, our health will depreciate. Your wealth will deplete. Your influence and importance, it begins to minimize over time. And our power, inevitably, we all have to let go, don't we? We all have to let go. Those are not wrong things, but they don't determine actually what the successful life looks like. Those are depreciating qualities. What Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 16 is he's giving you investment tips. He's giving you investment tips. And he's saying there's nothing in this world that you can invest in that will last. Nothing. Nothing. You cannot take it with you. So when you make an investment, make sure you invest in something that's eternal. Something that will last forever. Well, who does Jesus say will welcome you into eternity? In that text. Friends. Friends. Use your money to make friends. Then they will welcome you into an eternal dwelling, he said. There's a New Testament scholar, Michael Wilcox. He wrote a commentary in the Gospel of Luke. He said this about this particular passage. He said, 
although these things, your time, your property, your money, belong to this life only, in other words, they're all temporary, you can't take any of them with you, what will, what will happen to you then will be, will you, when you pass into the afterlife will depend on what you did, what you were doing with them in the here and now. What will happen in the next life depends on what you did with what you had here and now. Make sure that you use the use of your money brings you into fellowship of friends that will survive beyond death. See, the story is this. Jesus says, invest in eternal things. Right now, some of you are gathered in our physical campus here. You're sitting around eternal beings. Some of you are watching online right now. And you're watching with people that are of eternal value. It's investing in people. This wise man, this manager wakes up one day and he realizes it's better to have friends than to have money in the bank. It's better to have friends. So we are to use what God has given us to invest in the people around us. Haven't you ever seen in the news media when something tragic happens, someone's house burns down and they're interviewing the family and someone will say this, we lost everything but my children are okay and that's all that really matters. Right, that is all that really matters. It's people. Cottages are disposable. Houses are disposable. Cars are disposable. But it's people that are eternal. It is all that really matters. Relationships matter. Relationships matter. It's not money, power, success, significance, or, or resources in this life that bring significance to our life. It's love. Your heart was made to experience and know love. And your heart was made to give love. It's love that brings us success. So the message is, put your time, your money, your talents, and your abilities to helping people, to help free people, to mend people, to care for people, to love people, because people are more important than these passing commodities that pass through our hands in this life. Friends, in Isaiah 40, verse 8, there's a beautiful verse there that says that the word of God endures forever. Forever. You know what's significant as you make friends in this life? And you share the word of God with them? And those people are made in the image of God and they connect faith to God? All of a sudden, you haven't made a friend for a moment. You've made a friend for eternity because they will be there to greet you. You know, I think a lot about heaven because I grew up in church and we would sing a lot of hymns about heaven. We would talk a lot about heaven. And a lot of imagery as a child was kind of built into my head of streets paved of gold and pearly gates and angels on clouds and harps and everything. I'm going to ask you if that's your idea, just put it all aside for a minute. What if what Jesus is highlighting here is true of heaven? What if heaven was a place of friendship? Deeply, profound, authentic, real friendship nestled in a bath of love because that's what's waiting for us. See, some people, and I've been there, Pastor Keith talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I've been there at the end of people's lives and I've watched people hold on as tightly as they could to this life. Why? Because everything was invested here. And I've equally watched people And Janet would have been one of those people who's so heavily invested in there 
there is a peace of trust and an excitement of the reward and the hope set before her. So here's the question I started with. Are you successful? Maybe you can look back now and you can say, well, maybe in terms of the world, I felt unsuccessful, but as Jesus describes it, I have been successful. I'm loving the people around me. I'm investing in them. I'm helping them. I'm making friends. I'm building community. And if you look back and you say, well, not as successful as I wish I was, you know what you have? A gift. You have the gift of today. A day where you can help someone. You can invest in someone. And a day where you can meet someone. I want to encourage you, don't live just for these passing things in this life. Let's hold on to what Jesus has for us. The great reward is loving the people around us. Let's pray. Father, we can even just have this teaching and understanding because your son Jesus made it possible. Why you love us like you do is it's difficult to conceive even because God, that great love that you would lay down your life for us. God, I pray that you would ignite our hearts and minds. I pray for everyone listening right now, whether in this room or online, that they would understand by your spirit how loved they are by you. And in turn, Give us a vision, not only as a church, but as even individuals, to help people. Give us a vision to invest in people, to see people freed, to see people mended and healed and restored. Give us a vision to bring your word to others. God, I pray over Alpha. I pray over our love army. May this just be in a moment, a seismic moment, in your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, as we are people roll up our sleeves and lean in and make friends and build community and find places of healing for people and love for them. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.